This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is on a city that none of us have probably ever heard of or are unaware of. And if you know of this city and country, it's because you are from a country that is neighboring or nearby or is relevant or th- or is relevant to it, rather. What country I mean specifically, a city rather, is Baku, Azerbaijan. Baku being the capital of Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan being a Central Asian country next to Armenia and Iran. Uh, by the Caspian Sea or the Black Sea, or one of those seas. <laughs> and yeah, so when we think of Azerbaijan, let's be honest, not a lot comes to our mind. I mean, if you are on top of your international politics or international geopolitics, then you know who what Azerbaijan is and their conflict with Armenia and their connection with Turkey and all that stuff. But as I've said before, and I will com- continue to say throughout this podcast, it's not a political podcast here. We're... I'm just here to tell you what's happening or from what I see from the sources I've gathered. I'm not here to say, you know, I'm not here interested in what's propaganda or not. I'm just, you know, I feel like we should talk about these things outside of politics. Other Another thing that you'd probably know about Azerbaijan or Baku is probably the fact that they are host to an F1 race, that they have the, a Grand Prix at Baku. If you watch the uh, documentary, the Netflix documentary on F1, uh, Drive to Survive, excellent documentary, really good, worth the watch. Uh, you get invested in these uh, people and racers and characters, if you will. But anyway, so today's episode is on Baku and Azerbaijan. And it's important to note that Azerbaijan is not in the Euros. They didn't qualify. I I don't think they'll qualify for a major tournament in a long time. I'm just being honest. As it is the case for all the other episodes and for this season, I'm first going to start by talking about the host city and country, if there's any cultural things worth considering and talking about, and also I'll end it on the home venue. But given the fact that this country, or Baku, yeah, Baku, the you know being the capital of Azerbaijan and Azerbaijan not having a team, the Euros, it's kind of weird and hard to talk about. So I thought I'm not gonna talk about Azerbaijan football or Azeri. I think the Azeri. Anyway, I'm not gonna talk about that. But I'm gonna talk about Turkey and Turkey's connection to Azerbaijan because Turkey doesn't have a, a city hosting the Euros. So there's no Turkish city like Ankara or or Istanbul or wherever. None of those cities are hosting the Euros. And Azerbaijan, or specifically Baku, sort of became the sort of became the unofficial home of Turkey for this uh for this tournament. And some of you are asking, why is Azerbaijan or Baku the unofficial home of Turkey? Well, outside of politics, Turkey and Azerbaijan have are very closely connected culturally and ethnically. I mean, they're both Muslim uh, secular Islamic states. They're both unof you know both countries are majority Muslim. They come from a similar ancestral root, which are Turkic people. For those who don't know, if you if you read uh, Sapiens, the book Sapiens, amazing book. If you read the book Sapiens, he talks about Turkic people and how they moved from, let's say, the Middle East or Anatolia all the way to Japan, essentially. And these Turkic people are often described with higher cheekbones, eyes that might be slightly smaller than the average European or wherever. 
and uh also they carry with them the religion of shamanism i know this is all like very like what does this god do with soccer just entertain me so this is that's a connection between uh turkey and azerbaijan because turkic people if they start from anatolia they went through central asia through mongolia then down to korea then to japan and that's why in all those regions all those regions have a traditional form of shamanism because it goes back to the turkic people now with Azerbaijan and Turkey, I mean they're practically neighbors, so the connection is very close. I guess the connection between Turkey and Azerbaijan is similar to Canada and United States. You know, very similar histories, similar social, religious, ethnic makeup, and all that. And they always kind of, you know, they're both big allies as well. So when you think of Azerbaijan or you think of Baku, you don't think of it as a soccer powerhouse. You don't see it as having any significant influence on the global game. For sure it doesn't. I mean, the good thing of Baku being a host is that it's going to help bring the exposure of soccer into that region. And hopefully, you know, the game will become more popular and grow. And also for myself, uh, someone who likes to travel, I like to see games happening in different parts of the world that we don't normally see it happen, you know. That's why the World Cup in South Africa was a big deal. Not just because it was in Africa. I mean, that was the biggest deal that the first World Cup was in Africa. But... We never seen it go to South Africa, and for that matter, a lot of the world didn't really know anything of South Africa besides Nelson Mandela and apartheid and rugby. So, in the case of Baku, it's uh, we're now getting to see a part of Azerbaijan that now we're just now we're just seeing Azerbaijan. We don't really know anything about it, but now we're seeing it and looking at the local fans, and they you know they look like any other Middle Eastern fans in some ways or any typical Central Asian fans I guess uh, in terms of how they look. So for me, when I'm looking at Azerbaijan backwards, this is all relatively new. When I looked it up, Baku is a very old city. It's they have evidence of settlement in Baku since the Stone Age. That's like I don't know how long ago, but that's a long time ago for sure. <laughs> I'm bad with dates, but I I know when one is old and Stone Age is definitely old. <laughs> So it's an old city, ancient city, so old people. My only exposure to Azerbaijan was uh, my old Bible teacher when I used to go to church. He was a missionary in Azerbaijan for three or four months. And he was sharing his experience in Azerbaijan. And I remember asking him, what, what are they like? He was like, do they speak Arabic? He was like, they don't speak Arabic. They speak Azeri. And he was like, they have their own language. It sounds kind of like Arabic, but it's its own thing. They're all Muslim. He's like, that's 100% sure. And he's, and, but the one thing he did tell me, because my soccer, well, soccer, my Bible teacher was also my soccer captain on my, on my church team. He played center back and was one, he was actually in his day, shout out to Timmy. He was the best center back in the Korean league at his prime. Like, he was incredible. It was like watching a cleaner version of Pepe, you know what I mean? Of like a Pepe on Portugal. Uh, just a cleaner and more Christian version, if you will. But I remember him telling me when he was there in Azerbaijan or in Baku was that everyone kept calling him Chinese, Chinese, you know, he's Korean. So he's like, everyone kept calling me Chinese, Chinese. He's like, it was annoying. But he said the one way that I realized that what was effective in breaking the ice was I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. And every time he said I'm Korean, all of them sort of switched their attitude. It was like, oh, Park Ji-sung in Manchester United. Oh, Park Ji-sung's Korean on Manchester United. Oh, like, do you know Park Ji-sung? And that's how the conversation went. And... And he said that was really effective because it disarmed them and they got to talk about a similar interest and that was soccer. And they became more open towards him. They started talking. So every time he walked past them, they'd have these conversations about soccer or hang out and talk. And to me, I was like, this is how you're supposed to be a missionary is that you don't sell Jesus to these people. You sell yourself because 
once you sell yourself to them, they'll open up to you, and that's when you can start talking about your faith and so on. That's a little tip. Well, I don't want to say tip, but that's kind of how we used to operate on the field. That's how I used to operate when I used to be a missionary, at least. But anyway, let's get back into soccer. So, so following the format of this episode, I said we're going to go over, introduce the whole city and country, and Azerbaijan, still relatively unknown uh, for me personally. I didn't do that much research into the culture and into any of it because their team... Because only because Azerbaijan is not participating in the tournament. But I, the only thing I really did want to research was the stadium itself because it's incredible. It's beautiful. Baku Olympic Stadium is absolutely beautiful. As a matter of fact, Baku was supposed to hold was supposed to host the uh, the Winter Olympics, but I think Beijing got it over Baku, which upset everyone because Beijing doesn't really have any mountains. Oh, it's either Beijing or Shanghai, but point is that that part of China doesn't really have any mountains that are good for winter sports, whereas Baku has five different is near like five different mountains and it's perfect for the winter olympics and apparently azerbaijan is known for solid winter olympics so you can understand that's probably another reason why soccer isn't as big in azerbaijan when you're thinking of azerbaijan you're probably thinking of dusty and sandy and middle easterny but when you look it up it's you know it's quite green a lot of mountains yes it looks relatively dry but i feel like that part of the world is relatively dry it's not deserted or ugly as we might conjure up in our minds. And Baku Olympic Stadium is definitely showing that Baku and Azerbaijan is a modern city. Is It's an old city for sure, but it's still a modern city. I mean, the stadium is beautiful. It's, it, it opened in 2015, so it's relatively new. It looks very modern. The exterior is like all like, it looks like LED light panels out front. It, it's It's kind of like... I guess Times Square around it, but with minus the obnoxious billboards, it's just it's beautiful. It's a very nice stadium. I would say it's on par with Munich's uh, Bayern Munich Stadium. You know, it's very nice, and it's also huge. It has sixty nine thousand capacity seating. Sixty nine thousand, great number, huge venue. It is a national stadium of the country, but also the home of Karabakh. As I er- mentioned earlier, Karabakh is the uh, the local club that. Uh, calls the Baku Olympic Stadium home. Karabakh was founded in 1951. They won two league titles during the Soviet Union when, you know, the entire part of the world was behind the Iron Curtain. And they won eight eight league titles and six cups in post-Soviet times. So they're relatively successful. They have silverware under the belt. They were in the, the Europa League two years ago, I believe. And I remember it was a big deal because when Chelsea went to go play them at Karabakh, it was like... For the locals, that was a big deal. They never got to see a major f- no, football club, a world-renowned football club, come to their home. So, like, empathetically, I, you know, I'm happy for them. Good for them. They got to see that. But also, but in that stadium specific, the biggest game that happened in Baku Stadium so far uh, was the Euro- It was actually the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea, which ended at 4-1. I think that was, like, two years ago as well. Yeah, so that was probably, yeah, definitely the same year. And for that game, they reached like a 57, 58,000 seat capacity. So while while the stadium could fill up to 69,000, they were able to hit 58,000 about for the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea. Hey, that's pretty good. Pretty good job. So this is, yeah, I remember this being happening right before COVID, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, but like in other episodes, there's a lot of things I could talk about, explore the culture and how that culture influences soccer how soccer is consumed but this one is i wanted to change it a little bit do something a little different because of turkey calling baku it's uh it's unofficial home essentially i want to address that connection and talk about that 
when you watch when you watch all the Turkish games at the stadium, you'll notice that the fans are waving both Azeri flags, Azerbaijani flags, or Azeri. I think uh, I don't know. Anyway, so they're lo- they're raising the local flag and also the Turkish flag in unison, and like some in one hand, and like in in each hand rather. And it seemed like calling Baku its unofficial home for Turkey was obviously did not work. I'm saying this as a soccer fan. I'm also saying this as someone who thought Turkey was going to make it at least to the quarterfinals. I am thoroughly disappointed in Turkey. I just, um, I don't think Yilmaz was able to register a goal this tournament, which is too bad because he just won the he just won the French league with Lille. You know, beating and ending the PSG dominance. And you know, you have other great players like Soyuncu, Demiral, Chana Noglu. Butchering all their names, but it's just. There's so many talents on this team, and it, it just doesn't work. And it's, I feel bad, but at the same time, I don't feel bad. I think I'm just more annoyed and disappointed because I feel like Turkey will always be the underdog in Europe. You know, whether call it racism or call it, you know, yeah, call it racism or just old school tribalistic beefs. You know, because the Turk the Ottoman Empire was like invading the Balkans and threatened to invade all of Europe. And also how the EU was actively keeping Turkey out of the Eurozone. I don't know if I'm not up to date with the latest European politics. There's a lot of things. So for me, it's that I always feel like Turkey, I always always support Turkey in the Euros because they're almost inherently the underdog. Coming into this Euros, Turkey went undefeated. They were at the top of their group. They were killing it in the, you know, leading to the Euros. It's sort of like in any North American sport. Turkey, what Turkey proved to me now is like, how some, let's say, a basketball team does amazing in the regular season, but utterly fails in the playoffs. This is what Turkey is, and we see this a lot in North American sports. You know, the Montreal Canadiens was always like that. It seems very good in the season, then you know, utterly awful in the playoffs, or just utterly awful in both seasons. I don't know. The the Canadians is an emotional roller coaster of a team to support, and I don't watch that much hockey, but you know, it's an everyone would agree with that. But for those who are not following the Turkish national team, let me tell you how bad they performed. The first game was against Italy. They lost 3-0 to Italy. Understandable, because Italy was at home, and it's also Italy. And also, Italy hadn't conceded a goal in, I don't know, 25 games or something. The Italians have not been scored on for almost for over a year. Every friendly or World Cup qualifier game or what have you, they haven't been scored on. That's very impressive on the Italian side. So for Turkey to lose 3-0, I thought that match ought to be a little more competitive. Maybe like 2-1 loss or uh, a 1-1 draw or something like that, right? But no, Turkey, I mean, Italy blew them out of the water. And also like the Italians just, the Italians love showing up for international competitions, especially for the Euros. They always just, they always bring it. It's always fun to watch the Italians. Not so much fun to watch it with Italians at times because they talk a lot of smack, but that's actually, no, you know, I'm wrong. Go watch an Italy game with your Italian friends, especially the ones that are most opinionated. You have to do that. So the next game in the group stage for Turkey was against Wales. And I like Wales. I've supported Wales since the last Euros. They were the underdogs. Gareth Bale and Ramsey combination is just beautiful. It works so well. And it worked very well in the last Euros. It's working better in this Euros, it seems. And even Gareth Bale, before the game, was sort of hyping the fans. was saying, like, I, we know that when we go into Baku, it'll just be Turkish fans, really. He's like, yes, they'll, they're going to be local Azeri fans, but they're going to be hostile. And they're going to come at us. And it seemed like 
the hostility of the fans wasn't a thing for Wales because they beat them 2-0. Turkey have now conceded five goals in two games. Not good. Not good. And it was actually in that game when I noticed the fans were holding both the Turkish and the local Azeri or the Azerbaijan flag. And they're both waving it together. And when the Turkish national anthem came on, the Azerbaijan fans, you know, they showed a lot of respect towards it. So you could see the connection of brotherhood between Turkey and Azerbaijan in terms of the fans and the players and the cultural connection, the religious connection. And I guess a common enemy with Armenia. I mean, I don't want to get into that. That's more politics and dark side of history. And I watched that Wales and Turkey game, and Wales was just way better. Gareth Bale just had a show, and Gareth Bale is just Gareth Bale. Then the last game they played was against Switzerland, and they lost 1-3. So finally, they were able to register a goal, but still lost to three goals against Switzerland. And this is where I was disappointed, because I thought this had to be the game that Turkey could have at least get a draw. Even if Turkey got a draw out of this game, it wouldn't do anything good for them because they've already conceded five goals up to this point, and now they conceded eight goals. And if you want to count goal differential, then they've conceded seven goals in total. That's that's harsh, Turkey. Like, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect any of this. I didn't think they would lose this comprehensively bad at every game. I don't know what's, what needs to change with Turkey. Is it a coach? I think what this Euro's... And this is very relatable to Turkey. I think what this Euros and this year global soccer is showing is that players with dual and triple citizenship are a factor. Turkey could have had some ep- could have had amazing players in the squad if they were able to sort of bring them into the national team. And that was players like Mesut Ozil or or Ilkay Gundogan. Mesut Ozil and Gundogan and Emre Can, they, those three are Turkish and they play for Germany. And if the Turkish FA had went out for to them and say, you could play for Turkey as opposed to Germany, they might have a better chance. However, who wants to play for Turkey over Germany? Germany is going to get you to the World Cup. Germany might most likely win you the World Cup or the Euros. You will get glory with Germany. And it's hard. That's a hard debate for a player to decide. It's like, listen, I'm Turkish. I'm very proud to be Turkish, but how? But I also want to win. And at the end of the day, my race doesn't matter. I, I'm a competitor. I want to win. And you see Germany, you're like, I was born and raised in Germany. I played soccer in Germany. My entire life is Germany. Why play for Turkey? You know, these are real questions that, you know, players ask themselves. Alfonso Davies chose Canada over Ghana or Liberia. Because I think he said he was like, I'm just proud to be a Canadian citizen and knowing that what Canada has given to me, a home, a life, and you know all those things. You know, Alfonso Davies being refugee. So in my opinion, Turkey could do better if they were able to get those Turkish diaspora living outside and try to have them play for Turkey. Ghana did that with Kevin Prince Boateng, who was born and raised in Germany, but was able to convince him to play for Ghana. You know, I, I, these things, there's a lot of complications and subtleties, but... When I'm looking at this Turkish national team, it's lacking inspiration, it seems. If they had a player like Mesut Ozil, just him alone could really change up this team and make it more inspiring and more exciting to watch. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't watch enough Turkish football, but from what I've seen, I'm not impressed. And I'm not not just talking about not being impressed, but, you know, disappointed more than anything. I didn't put any money. I'm not a betting man. Some people feel like I should bet money on soccer games because they think I could win money. I've done that before. I kept losing money. So no more no more betting on games. <laughs> and and also, it's sinful. Don't do that. <laughs> or be responsible. But yeah, like there's, 
I feel like with the Turkish national team, when you talk to other soccer fans, you you know, you can go for hours as to why they're disappointing. Why didn't they hit the way you thought they would hit? You know, there's a, there could be another reasons. If they had played in Turkey, in, in Istanbul, they would probably perform way better, especially with the Turkish fans. Those guys are intense. If you watch, like, uh, Besiktas play Galatasaray or Galatasaray play uh, Fenerbahce, like those there's like three clubs in Istanbul and if you're watching play against each other it's kind of like war that was like really but and I think maybe that's what the Turkish team was missing their own proper fans supporting them and no offense to Azerbaijan fans but if I if I was playing for team Canada I don't want to play in front of the Americans I want to play in front of Canadians you know what I mean and I guess in this scenario it's probably because of COVID or political reason or what have you you know they had no choice but to play in Azerbaijan and that's fine you know make do with what you have but to me it's maybe the Turkish fans and Turkish players rather needed their own fans behind them because in soccer the 12th man is probably the most important aspect the 12th man being the fans because the way the fans sing the way the fans chant and the, the kind of booing that the fans do on the opposition is a lot of pressure and it gets into the psyche of the players you know Maybe that's what Turkey was missing. Maybe that's Gareth. That's what Gareth Bale realized about this Turkish team. They're missing their own fans. And that's why he said, that's why he was anticipating a hostile environment when really it didn't feel hostile at all. Anyway, that today's episode was on Baku, Azerbaijan. I know I didn't talk too much about Baku nor about Azerbaijan, uh, only because for the purpose of the Euros 2020, I want to keep it within the parameters of the host city. And if they have the national team involved in the, in the game so in this case Baku at Baku being capitalized Azerbaijan Azerbaijan doesn't have a team the Euros and so we talk about Turkey and next episode is going to be quite similar where I'll be talking about Bucharest in Romania yeah Romania is not involved in the Euros so I'll just be talking about a match that happened in Bucharest which someone related to Romania but we'll, we'll talk about it once we get to that episode but anyway all this to say Thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. And once again, don't forget to follow and subscribe Soccer Pilgrim on Instagram, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever other podcast streaming platform. And you could also follow me, my personal Instagram account at Jason underscore Jisoo, G-I-S-O-O. And once again, for this Euro special, we'll be releasing episodes at 11 a.m. every Monday and Wednesday. So anyway, all this to say... Thank you for being an audience. My name is Jason Kim from Montreal. This is Soccer Builder. Thank you.